buddies. Welcome to the episode zero of Headlines and Coffee, the podcast. I'm your host, Generator. If you love America, if you love sarcasm, facts over your feelings, and you want to know what's really going on in our country, then this is the place for you. So pour yourself a cup, buddies, and enjoy. All right. So let me go ahead and bring on my producer, Bill. Bill, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, Jenna, first thing I want, or Jen, first thing I want to say is thank you for the amazing opportunity. You know, I was a fan of yours for a while. And when I saw the opportunity to work on this project with you, I was really, really excited. So this is, uh, you know, our test pilot episode, looking forward to, uh, working out some kinks. Uh, as far as me personally, I'm a former journalist, or as I like to say, a recovering journalist, uh, did TV and radio (laughs) news for 14 years. And obviously the only thing that I see that we ever really had in common was some of our, a lot of our political views mm-hmm. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, I'm a straight white male Michigan fan. Gross. <laughs> I'm so that's, sorry about that. No, that that's okay. You know, we, we, uh, we fall on hard times, but I'm wearing my Kentucky hat today. So. I know. I noticed. Yeah. I noticed. <laughs> yeah, I'm but, uh, like always wearing my Ohio state hat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that's, and yeah, I've been looking for another project to sink my teeth into. I've been out of TV news for uh, about four years now, close okay. to three or four. And I've been looking for another project to sink my teeth into to let those creative juices out. And that's why we made contact and I'm happy to be here with you. All right. Uh, anything else uh, you want to share with our audience about yourself? Oh, not really. I'm re- I'm excited to see I'm excited to see the start of the show get going. So, Jenna, right. why don't you uh, go ahead and let the folks know what's up first? All right. So first, we are going to do some history on today. Um. So in 1859, if uh, waiting, yeah. So in 1859, there is a French acrobat by the name of Charles Blondin. He is the first acrobat to cross Niagara Falls. On a tightrope. Daredevil of Niagara Falls, Charles yeah. Blondin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, look at that picture. I mean, and keep in mind, this was in the 30s? The 1930s? No, this, no, this was 1859, Charles oh, Blondin. Oh, my yeah. God. So more like yeah. the 1830s. <laughs> but, and this is from uh, the Smithsonian Magazine's website. I mean, just look at this guy. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. So, um... For you listeners that are like listening to the podcast, make sure you follow my Instagram, not underscore generator. And these pictures we will grab and I will upload them onto the Instagram because just thinking about it, like we're going to share visual aids. Well, while you're driving, you can't see them. And maybe you want to see, you know, Charles Blondin crossing the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. So yeah, we'll do a screen grab and make sure we upload that to my Instagram. Eventually, we'll move on to other platforms. But just so you know, that's where you can find those. Um, all right. So next, we have John Hope. All right. So in 1906, John Hope becomes the first black president of the Morehouse College. For those of you that don't know, Morehouse College is an HBCU, also known as a historically black college or university. But even still, I think that in that time period, 1906, like, I think that's pretty impressive. Oh, that that is insanely impressive, especially for that time in not only American history, but in the world's history uh, in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, he he was just so educated. And uh, this is one of those folks that, you know, you always ask the question about, hey, if you could only uh, have dinner with four people in your life, you know, pastor 
<coughs> present, who would it be? I think John Hope would be one of the guys I would love to invite. To oh, dinner. yeah, absolutely. It, it would be very interesting to hear his his view on what it was like in America during that time. And especially, you know, breaking the glass ceiling like that, I yeah. think would be amazing to talk to him. Um, okay, next we have uh, Margaret Mitchell. Now, this was the lady who Gone with the Wind, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. So 1936, Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind was published ah. in Atlanta. If I remember correctly, it's all about the ATL on uh, the pilot episode here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, hey, they they were uh, ATL was killing it on June on June thirtieth. That's what they were doing. And June thirtieth just works for you know ATL. Yeah, this came out in uh, 1936 and was also the basis for the huge blockbuster movie. Don't get me wrong. the I believe the novel was huge, but mm -hmm. the movie, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. The, it was it was definitely one of those. Um, I, I It was just a product of like that generation, that time that's just aged so well. Uh, it's a mm -hmm. classic, you know, it's a classic book. It's a classic movie. And um, generations, hopefully, depending on how cancel culture, I mean, we've already know that Gone with the Wind got yanked off of HBO, but hopefully generations, you know, that are later on down the road will continue to enjoy Gone with the Wind. All right. Yes. So uh, 1967, Robert Henry Lawrence Jr. was named the first black astronaut. The first Look at that guy. He's handsome. Yes, he is. And I, I tell you what, this is what amazes me is the first African-American astronaut in history is a huge accomplishment. Don't get me wrong. But mm -hmm. I mean, he graduated high school at 16, which at the time wasn't you know unheard of. Mm -hmm. But then at age 20, an Air Force officer and a pilot. Yeah. I mean, and keep in mind, this is in the 30s and 40s. Yeah. Amazing. It is absolutely amazing what a lot of people, what people back in the day have accomplished. Like, People that face actual oppression and adversity. All right. And our last for our history is good old number 45. Let's see his beautiful <laughs> orange face. A beautiful orange face. Obviously, we know how big of a deal this is. Um, no sitting U.S. president has ever gone into North Korea. Um, nobody ever crosses the DZ, as we call it. I had to, you know, fully say it out in case people didn't know what DZ stood for. But people don't cross that. And there, there they are. Look at them all smiling and having a grand old time. I can't remember the last time I saw an American get that close to the uh, that little border section in the DMZ. There's videos out there where mm -hmm. people are trying to run across it or step back and forth, but they had to knock that stuff off after uh, a couple of people were greeted not so kindly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yep, we will leave it at that. All right, and that is the rest of, that's the end of our history for today, June 30th, 2021. Um, I don't know why I said the year. You guys all know what year it is. Anyways, <laughs> let's move on to our headlines for the week. In Thailand, the FDA, the Thailand's FDA, found over 100 doses of the coronavirus vaccine with lumps of gel in the bottles. Sinovac Biotech, which is based out of China, produced the defective vaccines that were sent to Thailand. It's not really a good look for someone you have as a regional ally. In case you guys did not know, Thailand and China are regional allies. I mean, I found it very weird. I think it's uh, it was 110 um, doses to be exact that had lumpy gel in it. Um, 
obviously they did not use that. It's just kind of weird that, and, and oh, the other thing is uh, the Sinovac Biotech is also, I think their first, they were the first ones to make the coronavirus vaccine there in China. So you would think that if they were the first ones to produce, produce it, they would have already had those figured out. I don't know. That's just me. I'm with you. What are uh, Scott Meyer, who's our first dedicated listener and watcher. Thank you, Scott. We appreciate that. He asked, what the hell is in the gel? That's a good uh, question. That is a good question. And honestly, I don't remember reading anything that says what was in the gel. I think they were just saying it was some sort of a gel. Uh, so I'm, it could have been maybe, maybe something in the vaccine uh, coagulated. Is that, is that the right word? Coagulated? Yeah. 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 Coagulated is basically the uh, scientific term for clumping. There you go. <laughs> Look at me being all smart. All right. So the Department of Homeland Security's Mayorkas is bringing back migrants who have already been deported. Their statement at the Department of Homeland Security's includes, we're eager to bring back people who shouldn't have been removed in the first place. Now, here's the thing. Are we forgetting that when you cross the border illegal, that's breaking the law, therefore they were deported for a reason. So I don't really understand what he's getting at as far as saying they shouldn't have been removed in the first place. No, they absolutely should have been removed because they came over illegally. I don't really get it. So here's the thing. Um, before people want to come at me and say, oh, well, those people are seeking asylum. Let me explain asylum seeking because there is a difference between asylum seeking and migration. Asylum seekers are refugees. Refugees are people who cannot return to their country of origin because of fear of prosecution, conflict or violence. Um, I don't think they're really dealing with those places or those events in, you know, Guatemala, Honduras and Mexico and all those places. I don't think they are. I could be wrong, but I don't think they are. I think they're just, you know, coming here for a land of opportunity like most immigrants come here for. Now, there is a claim that the right makes saying that asylum seekers must go to the first safe country. However, I cannot find anything that supports that claim, not saying it's not true, but I can't find anything. So I don't know where people on the right are getting that information. So if anybody knows, please let me know because I looked on the United Nations website all over the place this morning and there's nothing that says they have to go to the first safe country. However, there is still a legal process to seek asylum and that is what we have embassies for. So if somebody is in a place like, oh, I don't know, we have embassies in Jerusalem. We'll just use Jerusalem as an example and they're trying to seek asylum. They can go to our embassies. Yeah, they can go to our embassies and seek temporary refuge until they can get asylum approved. Oh, these are not asylum seekers. Like I said, they are migrants. And if they want to come to our country, then they need to do it the legal way. So that's the other thing, people on the left. We are not opposed to immigration. We want you to do it legally, do it the right way. There is a process for everything. And, you know, there's this thing that they say in life that you can't cheat the system, that you don't just get free lemonades or something. I don't know. I probably just made that up. But you're not supposed <laughs> to cheat the system. Plain and simple. Mm -hmm. And right, they are not asylees. These people that are coming over, they are not asylum seekers. They are not refugees. They are migrants. There's a huge difference. There's, in a very simple way to explain that, is if, you, if there's a border... 
obstruction. It doesn't have to be a wall. It can be a fence. It can be uh, whatever you want. If there's a border obstruction and you go under it, through it, or over it, that is illegal immigration. So yes. I don't understand. That is not seeking asylum uh, through a port of entry, which is what you have to do. And I don't understand how somebody who is a United States Congress person does not understand that or well, at minimum was not prepared for that comeback. The immigration process needs some reform. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that it shouldn't take a, in the information age that we live in where everything is available like that, mm -hmm. it should not take a year for a process okay, like immigration. Mm -hmm. If somebody comes to a port of entry, they shouldn't have to sit there, whether it's in a cage or on a park bench or mm -hmm. on, on the riverside, they shouldn't have to sit there six months or a year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Th this process needs to be reformed and or streamlined. Yes. I agree with that hundred percent. I think that that is one thing that our country needs is a lot of reform, um, restructuring of a lot of outdated systems. I think one one way to definitely expedite the immigration process, the immigration judges, take them down to the borders because from what I'm understanding, that's not where they're located. I don't understand why immigration judges wouldn't be at the borders or be at these port cities. Like bring them down there so that they're not making these people travel to wherever. And you know, let's start expediting the process. Um, they're already starting like background checks as soon as they come in. I, I don't understand why why this is taking so long. I, I mean, I'm not at the border. I'm not a subject matter expert on the border, but I do agree with Bill that this is definitely something that could be expedited. Yeah, and uh, Scott says use the embassies. I'm not. You may be a little more educated as far as I am, but I think the embassies. They're not near uh, points of entry, correct? No. So embassies, I think what Scott is getting at is um, we have embassies all over the world. And what you can do, like one of the prime missions for an embassy is to actually interview people who want to come to the U.S. for visas, work, or tourist. Yeah, for visas, work, or touristing. So their job is to actually interview and make sure that these people are safe to come to our country. And that right there would expedite a lot of our issues because they're doing most of the heavy handed work, like making sure they have a good background check, make sure they don't, they're not coming over here for, you know, malicious intent, et cetera. So I, I agree with that, you know, have them start going to the embassies or build more embassies. Hey, that's more jobs. You build more embassies. And then that's going to help alleviate a lot of stress at the border as well. I think. Hold on. I need to pick up my jaw because I just dropped it because you made sense. Oh, my <laughs> God. You, you just solved half of the immigration crisis in, what, five minutes? And I didn't have to go to Europe to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at it this way. Kamala was trying to do it and not go to the border. Yeah, I mean, that too. I, I didn't have to go down there and find root causes. We know what root causes are. Like, we, we know what the root causes are. Like, how about we just find ways to fix it? Absolutely. All right. Next, um, let's debunk the blatant lies from the left about the Republicans advocating to defund the police. <laughs> this one's a great one. Good old Jen Psaki, man. She gives oh, uh, Jen. She gives us Jen's a very bad name. You wouldn't happen to have that video, would you? Uh, I didn't even think to ask you to 
pull that one up. Where Jen, where Jen Psaki blames the Republicans and says that we were the ones that were trying to defund the police. I did not. But if you give me a second, I will let you talk about this particular headline and I will look for it. All right. So um, if you guys tuned into my headlines and coffee, actually, it wasn't headlines and coffee. It was just a regular video, I suppose, um, where I talked about how how many times the Democrats have actually wanted to defund the police to include what cities defunded the police and, you know, personnel that's defunded the police. Here's where the lie is stemming from. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the American Rescue Plan, but the Republicans voted against the American Rescue Plan. The American Rescue Plan did not have anything allocated to law enforcement, not a single dime. But the Republicans voted against the plan because of the radical things the left tried to put in there that had nothing to do with COVID relief. For example, the $15 minimum wage. That has nothing to do with COVID relief. Um, that was one of the main things that um, that held up the American Rescue Plan. Obviously, eventually they pulled the $15 minimum wage off and they passed it, which is why we got our last check of, what, $1,400, I think is what it was, because we were supposed to get two. But um, anyways, um, yeah, so we had Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Portland, Seattle, Baltimore, New York, Los Angeles, all cities that, oh, Minneapolis, all cities that defunded the police or advocated to defund the police. Um, Oakland, Oakland, was Oakland on that list? Because Oakland's one that it did defund the police. I don't see Oakland in this particular article, but mm -hmm. they could have been on the list. Yeah, so Oakland and I'm pretty sure Chicago are also ones that advocated or actually did defund their police. Um, and I know, I think Oakland is also trying to backtrack now, like, oh, we need more funding for our police. Or maybe it's Minneapolis, one of the two. Um, but we also have people like good old Joe, Kamala Harris, Nancy, uh, Corey Bush, Maxine Waters. Um, the fraud, as we like to call them. Yeah, the, the fraud. <laughs> um, we have Maxi, oh, Alan Omar, Corey Bush, the Minneapolis City Council, they defended defunding the police. Just a whole list of people that advocated for defunding the police, but yet they're trying to gaslight and say that it was the Republicans because the Republicans voted against the American Rescue Plan. Now, again, the American Rescue Plan did not have anything allocated to law enforcement. They had funds allocated for medical, um, for I think some um, bailouts for some of the democratic cities, and then obviously our COVID um, stimulus checks and amongst other things. But nowhere in that bill was there anything to allocate anything for law enforcement. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. And I do have that video now, if you want that. Oh yeah. Let's play. Oh, I forgot. It was, I forgot it was in that article. Well, that, that was a, uh, somebody's Twitter. Mm -hmm. So I've got the actual YouTube clip. Okay. So give me one second. We'll get this pulled up for you. And here we go. One about the crime today. I you mentioned expanding the crime the, uh, prevention rollout. Crime prevention, yes. <laughs> crime. Um, but there is a lot of crime in big cities. Uh, how do you reduce much of it caused by gun violence? Would you agree? Yes. So how do you ex uh, how do you reduce gun violence by expanding employment opportunities, including summer jobs for young people? Wait. Well, first, there's what what kind of softball question was that? 
That's what they get all the time. So it was you already can't, you it can't. was already put out back in January when she for like I think it was two weeks after she took the position that the reporters are all screened, which was why it was an even bigger deal that circle back Jen is like, I'm gonna have to circle back. I don't know, I'm gonna have to circle back. The fact that she never knows the answer to the questions when they pre-screen the reporters or reporters, I'm sorry, is just beyond me. It blows my mind. Well, and the other thing that I can't believe is what he is implying is that it's kids because that's why I, uh, you know, who gets summer jobs? Kids. Yeah, exactly. Okay? That, that's-, so that's number one. Number two, my problem with that is what is that going to do? I know people with jobs that commit crimes with guns all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to understand the, uh, the mentality of the left. They think that more gun control is going to stop gun violence. But let's look at Chicago, who has one of the strictest gun laws in America, and they have the highest gun violence in the nation, probably the world. Like, I would venture to say the world. Um, there's a reason why people call Chicago Chirac, because yeah. it's worse than how Iraq was back in the height of the war. So yeah. it's just the logic of the left. They think that, you know, punishing law-abiding citizens is going to solve all the world's issues, and it's just not... Well, this is from Forbes' YouTube channel, so let's continue with this. Okay. There's several components of this proposal. One of them is an initial set of actions on gun violence, uh, or an additional set, I should say, of steps on gun violence, which the president feels are important to get guns off the streets, make sure they are not in the hands of people illegally, uh, many of whom are... Uh, playing a role in violent crime across the country. That's part of his objective. He also wants to provide, uh, as we've seen, has been effective in communities across the country, incentives and alternatives for young people and communities uh, where that has shown to be an effective step. So is the thought there basically that somebody, some criminal who has been committing crimes with limited interruption or interference from police for the last couple of weeks or months is going to stop this easy life of crime if they have a summer job? Well, I think the president believes that we shouldn't we shouldn't allow access to guns to those criminals who are currently illegally buying them from some dealers across the country. And part of his announcement is taking steps to do exactly that. But part of his announcement is also ensuring there's specific guidance to uh, communities across the country to ensure that they have funding to get more community police around the country, something that was supported by the American Jobs wow. Plan. Uh, that was supported. That was voted into law by Democrats just a couple of months ago. Some might. Okay, so we're almost at the end of the video there. Mm -hmm. Okay, my first question: Who's going to enforce the laws if you defund the police? So they have been creating this new. I can't remember what they're calling it off the top of my head, but pretty much um, community. I, I guess community. They're not police. They're like community workers. And I mean, I get the idea behind it because I'll tell you from my experience, we do use, um, I guess, these uh, so-called mediators, uh, counselors, uh, I think is more accurate to call them um, in certain situations. However, um, when it comes to cases like, we'll say a domestic dispute, um, they, they want these counselors to go and intervene with these domestic disputes. Well, anyone that's ever worked a day in law enforcement knows that domestic disputes are the most dangerous cause you can go to because they can turn very violent very quick without, you know, any type of notice or, you know, you don't know what you're going to be walking in on. You know, you could go there, it could be calm. And then all of a sudden, dude has a knife and he's coming at his wife or something. 
Um, so I'll tell you from our experience that what a military police do is we go secure the scene. We start our interview process and, you know, we separate the people, we make the apprehensions that are needed, et cetera. And then we bring in our counselors to come in and talk to the spouse, whether it be, um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's male or female, it's usually the dependent. They'll talk to them, say, Hey, these are the resources that are available to you. Um, the soldier is always the one that gets taken away, whether they're, they're, they're the aggressor or not, just because of post policy, the um, housing is for the dependents and soldiers can go to the barracks. So the soldier gets pulled away regardless. Um, and then after their three day cool down period, they are supposed to follow up again with these counselors. Whether that happens or not, I don't know because after that it's kind of out of our hands, but they are supposed to follow up with these counselors to continue on with some sort of counseling and to you know, hopefully take advantage of the resources that are available to them. So um, to answer your question, I know I got kind of long-winded with that, but to answer your question, the whole idea is for them to use these so-called counselors to intervene in these situations where they don't want the police. But I just see a lot of people getting hurt or killed by taking these jobs, especially because they're not going to be armed. Right. And at what point do these counselors or mental health specialists, whatever, what, at what point do they become police? Because after a few times they're attacked and they're not protected, they're going to want to start carrying guns or some sort of self-defense. Well, yeah. then you'll have people on the left screaming, Oh, you're, you're giving them military grade weapons, even though mm -hmm. they got a can of bear mace. Yeah. <laughs> So I, honestly, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what their whole thought process is. I do think that again, we, we go back to talking. Hey, 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 I'm sorry about that. No, <laughs> don't, don't do that. Um, I lost my train of thought now because of him. The real star of the show shows up. Yeah. Welcome here on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, what I, Oh, so, we go back to talking about restructuring again. So I think that uh, obviously police reform or restructuring is needed. And I think that the way that they handle domestic disputes, because let's be real. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know from the civilian aspect, but I know most of the time I like, I'm not, I'm saying, I don't know personally, but I do know that most of the time uh, the aggressor gets apprehended, maybe charged with a domestic dispute or whatever. And then they get released free to go back to wherever it was that they got arrested from. I think that if we did more of restructuring and found ways to implement, to maybe implement a, a 24 hour cooldown period, maybe keep the aggressor in jail for 24 hours. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be a jail. Maybe we can find uh, other avenues because I feel like, yes, domestic violence is very high in the military, but when it comes to, um, things turning physical and possibly turning into somebody being murdered. I don't think they're as high as they are on the civilian sector. Now, granted, obviously the, the percentage as far as like the population difference is significantly different civilian versus military. However, I think that it still shows that we're at least doing something right when it comes to the way we're dealing with our domestic disputes. Let me ask you this, because my father was in the military for uh, 10 years and in, back in the day, keep in mind, he's been out of the army for a long time, mm -hmm. but it was not unheard of for the aggressor. If the aggressor was the enlisted person, mm 
Mm-hmm. It was not unheard of for them to that 24 hour cool down period or to even be barred from the uh, the family domicile for a few days or even a mm-hmm. week. Is that something they could still implement in that type of situation? So we do in the military. They um, they are automatically issued a military protection order for the 24 hour period. So installations. Um, most installations I've been at, their standard is 24 hours. However, units, they can add to that. And a lot of units actually implement a 72 hour cooldown period. So they keep that the spouses separated for, you know, three days. And if they do have to go back to the house, then they have to be escorted by an NCO and officer. So they can, if they have to receive or retrieve gear or whatever from the house, then they have an escort to keep things from happening. And they're not supposed to have any contact whatsoever. Now we know with the world, you know, technology, they're probably texting and probably still arguing, but at least they're not together to end up doing, you know, more harm than should happen, if that makes sense. So as far as bringing that to the civilian sector, I I think it's really difficult to, um, I think, I think we start getting into a really I, I don't want to say gray area, but it's possibly gray area because I think that's when we start infringing on people's rights. So something that people have to remember is like in the military, we're controlled by the government. So the government can do whatever it is that they please for the most part. When it comes to civilians, we can't tell somebody, hey, so we're going to let you out, but you can't go back for three days. You know what I mean? Like unless a judge actually orders that. Right. Um, but then they would actually have to you know, go through court and deal with that nonsense. And that's just that's that's not going to happen quick enough so i think if there is an aggressor whether it's just verbal or physical that that there should be a way to there should be a way to at least keep them separated for at least the 24 hours to cool down um i don't know how exactly they would go about go about that without infringing on people's rights but i'm sure there's got to be a way you know Mm. it's it's for not only like their safety but public safety and and I think that a lot of our domestic violence cases could end up, I would, they'll never go away, but I think that we would see maybe a drop in like the physical violence if there was a way to implement a sort of a cool down period. All right. What would you like next? Um, all right. So next, the big story of the night, well, one of the big stories of the night, I should say, Bill Cosby being released from prison. <laughs> this is. So uh, there's when so- I when I wrote my outline, I did not have all the information. And I don't think this article even has all the information. However, when I went to go get a big fat burger because I want to be a big fatty, um, I was listening to the radio and they actually what they had his spokespeople on and they had a lawyer talking, not a, a lawyer for him, but a lawyer just happened to be on the show when all this stuff came out. Um, and they explained exactly what happened. So This is what happened with Bill Cosby. Pennsylvania's highest court overturned Cosby's conviction today. Uh, Bill only served, uh, I think, almost three years of his three to ten year sentence. Um, He also cannot be tried again because of the way the ruling in this case went. Um, This is what actually happened. So I took that little snippet is what I got from the article. So what actually happened was the prosecutors, when they were going after Bill for this stuff, they said, hey, we will not prosecute you if you agree to this, this, and this. So they were trying to make a deal with him and kept saying that they were not going to prosecute him. 
And what they ended up doing was prosecuted him anyways. And the judge said that I cannot remember the prosecutor's name that really screwed this up. But um, they said that he did not have the authority to offer immunity. And because of that, like they really just messed, they just really bogged everything down and he should have never been prosecuted because of the deal. And he ended up admitting to the things that he did, but he wasn't supposed to get prosecuted and he did anyways. And it just, it was kind of like an entrapment deal is, is the way it sounds. And now, because what happened was with the one case that he was, I think it was one or two cases that he was on trial for, they ended up bringing forth other cases and historically, they're not supposed to use uh, past cases to prove prove guilt on like a current case. So, for example, if I rob this grocery store and they don't have like real evidence that I robbed it, but they're like, oh, well, we have evidence that 20 years ago she robbed this grocery store and that grocery store. So typically what they're not supposed to do is say, oh, see, they have this pattern of doing it. Therefore, they're guilty for this one. However, because of the severity of the case, they allowed these um, past issues or past incidents to come into the court. And now, because of everything, he can't be found like he can't be tried again for these cases because now everything's pretty much thrown out. Um, so here's the real question. Why now? This was completely out of left field. I had not heard anything about them even appealing any of this until recently or until this all came out like i did not know any of this was even going on i think a lot of us did not know a lot of this was going on so it's very suspect that this all happened right now and i think the reason why it happened was because somebody is down in texas today <laughs> that's what i think uh, let me ask you the, I, I do not want to go down the Alex Jones rabbit hole with you on that one. I, <laughs> I'm not saying you're not wrong at all, but uh, I will ask, do you think there's any credence to, I, I've heard a couple of different versions of this conspiracy theory that Bill Cosby, obviously him and his family, they own a lot of land and a lot of property in mm -hmm. uh, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is very rich with uh, natural oil and gas deposits. Mm -hmm. Some of these big oil and natural gas companies want to drill on Bill Cosby's land. And obviously the man's got more money than Midas. So mm -hmm. you can't offer him any money to sell it. Uh, what, what do you think? Is there any legitimacy at all to they've set this guy up because they wouldn't, he wouldn't let them have his land to drill for mm -hmm. gas and oil. So I will tell you right now that I, for the most part, walked away from conspiracy theories. Um, I, I was following them pretty, pretty heavy last year, um, even to the beginning of this year. And then, you know, when you keep hearing so many dates and nothing happens, like you kind of, it, it kind of does something to you emotionally when you're putting so much hope on, on things. So I walked away from the conspiracy theory stuff. But what I will tell you is the things that I was discovering last year while I was in it, and even uh, some of the stuff I've been looking up recently, because I kind of got pulled back into it a little bit, given some recent TikTok drama. I'm not going to get into that now. But um, I will tell you that our government 
is extremely corrupt. And this is on both sides. Um, for people that think I just attack one side, it's not. I'm not blind to the corruption that happens on the right. There is corruption on both sides. This is what really worries me. It's how deep this corruption actually goes. And it's not even just how deep the corruption goes. It's the amount of power that these guys actually have. So would it surprise me that the government uh, that wants to drill in, you know, Bill Cosby's land brings forth charges from 30 years ago or brings back allegations from 30 years ago to put an old man in jail so that they can get control of his land? No, that would not surprise me one bit. And I will tell you, I did not see the news. Um, I saw him getting walked out. And I was kind of thinking he was looking, I mean, he's old, you know, I don't know how old he is, but we know he's old, um, but, oh, okay. So there you go. 83. So something that the guy on the radio had said, he was actually watching it while Bill Cosby was standing there, his spokespeople were speaking. Bill Cosby wouldn't say anything. His spokespeople were talking and he said that he looked very frail and sick. And when he went to walk away, very wobbly. So that kind of makes me wonder did they release him knowing that maybe he's getting to that age where maybe he's going to pass? Maybe he's sick. You know what I mean? And they know that maybe he's going to pass away. And this was maybe they did him a favor, like, "Hey, we'll let you out for the remaining years of your life if you give us control of the land." I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just saying that at this point, nothing would surprise me anymore. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I will express that I have a problem with that premise, not your premise in general, but that premise period, because which premise specifically, uh, specifically the health conditions. Okay. Okay. Because okay. let, let's be honest, you know, I watched it live or I was streaming it live as it was happening. And you're right. Bill Cosby looked he just looked around like, what are all these people doing in my house? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the poor guy, you know, I, I say poor guy because mental acuity leaving in your uh, senior years is a terrible thing, regardless mm-hmm. of what you've done. Okay. Yeah, right. It, it's terrible. But Harvey Weinstein is in the same boat. That guy looked during trial, looked like he could have killed over at any second. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to let one out for health reasons, I don't see why you do it with one and not the other. So here's the question. What does Harvey Weinstein have that the government would want? Like you already uh, said it, Bill Cosby has land that the government mm -hmm. wants. What does Harvey Weinstein want or have? (laughs) Uh, the, I know Harvey, what he wants. I know what he wants. I know what yeah. he wants. I met him. What, is, what does Harvey Weinstein have that the government wants? <laughs> oh, I'm sure Harvey Weinstein probably has some kind of connection to uh, what's his name? The guy who, and, you know, who I, walked himself. Yes. I, you know, I was thinking that and I'm honestly really surprised that um, Harvey Weinstein has not unalived himself yet, or, whether, whether he himself or someone did it for himself. I am really surprised because I know that that ring runs super deep into mm-hmm. Hollywood, the politicians and are, are just, it just runs really, really deep. Even and, the British Royal family. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, this is a global issue and I don't understand why more people aren't throwing fits about it. It it just seems like it's us on the right that are talking about it. Um, unless it's a case that conveniently, you know, fits the left's narrative, for example, Matt Gates, which I don't even know what's going on with Matt Gates. I actually meant to look that up, but that's the only time they ever want to talk about it is when it's something against us. But the thing is, it is 
everywhere, everyone is involved. And when I mean everyone, obviously not me, me and you. Well, I don't know about right. you because I don't know you that well. I'm just kidding. Uh, ah. But like when I say everyone, I mean the left, the right, the royal family, the the communist party. Like every this is a global issue, and I'm just that's why I'm really surprised because you know Harvey Weinstein knows who these people are. He knows who's involved, and I'm just really surprised that he hasn't been Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, Jen, I tell you what, and I didn't want to go down here with you, but I'm going to real quick. It drives me absolutely bat crap crazy that people are more worried about Colin Kaepernick not having a starting NFL job than worried about kids mm -hmm. being molested and stolen and mm -hmm. made to do horrific things. Okay, I'm sure Clinton's got a limo or an SUV outside my house now because I'm talking about that. <laughs> but, you know, it's ridiculous. And I just can't help but feel that as a society, we are not valuing children. No. We, talk, we talk about all the time about um, the divisive culture we've become, the tribalism, mm -hmm. left versus white or left versus right, black versus white and mm -hmm. the racism and everything else. And all this, have we lost sight of the fact that our children are being victimized at an astounding rate? Or do we just not care? That's what's driving me bat crap crazy about all mm -hmm. this. So I will give you the answer to this. Most of us, most of us on the right, and there are some people on the left that do care about the children. Um, but what is happening is children are being over-sexualized and groomed because they want to eventually slip in to legalize pedophilia. Um, I don't think it will ever pass, may, at least not in my lifetime. I don't think it'll ever pass, but I think that's what they're trying to do. Um, th this is gonna start me on another tangent, but you know what it is, what it is. So let's talk that's about- what for. <laughs> Yeah, so let's talk about uh, transgenders in the bathroom. So um, when they passed, when, when President Biden passed that transgenders could use whichever bathroom they felt comfortable in, um, a lot of people on the right threw a fit about it. Now, a lot of people on the left think that it's because the right is being transphobic. No, the right is not transphobic because the end of the day, before, if you look like a woman and you went to the woman's restroom, nobody was going to say anything. Even if you were in the process, like you, you, could you can tell when someone lives their life as a woman. We're not going to say anything. Same thing with, I mean, I can't speak for men, but I, I can assume it's the same. If you live your life as a man. Nobody's really going to say anything if you go into the men's room. The issue was that they were just pretty much opening the door, saying that if you identify, doesn't matter, just you can say you identified, you can go use that restroom. Now, I know that a lot of people are going to say, well, if somebody wants to assault somebody, they're going to assault somebody. True. But why are we going to open the door for more opportunities? And the reason why I say more opportunities, is because there's already been cases. There's already been cases of people being assaulted uh, because they're saying that they are, you know, they identify. And now this is not me attacking the trans community. This is not me saying that trans people are, are assaulters because I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there are people out there that are giving the trans community a bad name. Um, we, let's talk about the kids now. So there are cases where little boys, and when I say little boys, I mean pre-pubescent, you know, they're starting to hit that um, the puberty age where they're starting to be interested in girls, are going and saying, I identify as a girl so they can go into the girls' locker rooms, girls' restrooms, just so they can get themselves a peek. Now, 
we can't say anything because if we say something, then it's transphobic. What is happening is when we are pushing this stuff on our kids and over-sexualizing our kids, we are grooming them, like I said. We are grooming future assaulters. Again, I'm not saying that this is the trans community that are assaulters, but you have little pervy boys that want to go into the girls' locker room so they can sneak a peek because they're pervy boys. And we know what 13-year-old boys have on their minds. Like, let's be honest about it. And so they want to go sneak a peek and eventually... That that's that is just grooming, and that's just looking at it from the psych psychology aspect of it. That is grooming kids to be future assaulters because they're going to peak, and then the next thing they want to do is they want to take, and that, that's not okay to me. Um, I think that there are other um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not options. There are other options. That if there are, I'm not saying that there aren't trans kids, but for trans kids, I think that there are options. Uh, but making it a free for all, I don't think that's what we should be doing. I think that if a boy says that they are uh, female, then I think like any other transgender person in the world, they need to go through the counseling and get themselves a doctor's note that says, yes, this person has gender dysphoria and um, they now identify as a woman. And then that should give them the okay to go into, you know, the little girl's restroom, locker room, whatever. I, I mean, I don't think it should be a thing. I think we really need to stop pushing the stuff on our kids. But um, and, yeah, that just took me on a whole tangent. I can honestly probably talk hours about the whole transgender thing. Because, and the thing is, like, again, I, this is not me attacking the transgender community. But what's happening is you have, I, we talked about this on my live earlier before I got banned on TikTok again. What? But, uh, yeah, I got banned again until the 7th. <laughs> Freaking people getting in their feelings. But uh, what, one of the topics we were talking about the transgenders, and the thing is, this is the same as the um, the white saviors. So we have white saviors potentially, so a bunch of white liberals that are out there trying to speak for the transgender community. So they're saying, oh, we can't say breastfeeding because that's offensive to trans women because they don't have really, they really don't have breasts, but they they do. You know, and the thing is, a lot of people, I, now, I don't know a, a whole plethora of trans people. I do know some. And most of these trans people, they just want to be recognized for what they are, whether that be a man or a woman. They don't care about these, the, you know, chest feeding or birthing person. Like, this is all white savior stuff, pushing things onto the American people that's potentially just pissing off the right. That's what I think anyways. Okay, so I have two uh, things to point out there. Number one, trans people getting offended because of breastfeeding because they can't breastfeed. These are the same people that want to try to claim that they can have uh, trans women can have periods. Mm -hmm. So, but the thing is, are trans people actually saying that, or is it that little percent of those white savior symptom people? that think that they're saving the world by speaking right. for other people. Because we have to remember that the trans community make up less than 1% of the American population. Mm -hmm. So are you telling me that less than 1% of the American population is raising this much hell to be changing this much in our verbiage? Like so much to the point where we as Americans, and I don't really include myself in this because I think that this term is absolutely asinine, but we as Americans think that it's okay to go change other countries' languages. 
by saying you can't say Latino or Latina. It's Latinx. Are okay. you kidding me? I've yeah. never met one Hispanic person or person of Latin descent that has said they are okay with the Latinx. Not one. And in my community where I live, the Latin community or the Hispanic community is number two. Believe it or not, where mm -hmm. I live, there's more people of Hispanic descent than there are African-Americans. And I've not met one or talked to one that has said, yes, I would prefer Latinx over mm -hmm. Latina or Latino. Right. So I, I will tell you that I've met one supposedly. Uh, that, and I only, say, <laughs> I only say supposedly because they were in my chat. So I have no way to confirm or deny whether or not they were Hispanic or not. Um, but they were in my chat arguing with me saying, no, Latinx is not offensive. No, it is because who are we to try to change somebody else's language? Like it's extremely offensive to me. That's that's to me, that's that how do I want to phrase this? Because this is gonna this is kind of gonna put America in a really bad light. Um, America has this mentality, Americans have this mentality that we are I mean, I kind of agree. We are the like the best of the best. We are, you know, the the leading country, or we used to be, you know, at one point, the leading country, the most influential country. Um, but we we overstep our boundaries, and what I mean by that is like, look at the times that we've gone to um, other countries and told them how to do things. That's not our place. That's their country. For example, when I was deployed to Iraq, I worked with the Iraqi police. Who am I to tell the Iraqi police chief how to run his police station? I can give him advice, but no, they wanted me to tell him that he needed to do X, Y, and Z. And I, I downright refused. I told them that I will suggest it. And they're like, no, you need to tell him. I will suggest it because that's not my place. Okay. You know what I'm, I'm saying? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but I got to ask also because I follow a couple of different uh Spec Op guys, their mm -hmm. YouTube channels. Uh, Vigilance Elite is one of my favorites with uh, uh, Sean. And I can't remember his last name off the top of my head. When you were training Iraqi security forces, isn't that part of the job is to tell them what to do to train them? So, I mean, there's a difference between training, training mm -hmm. them, and advising them. So okay. my role there was a an advisor to the police chief okay. at the station. Okay. So yes, we would take their their policemen out on training, training mm -hmm. events, but when it came to how to run his station and how to, you know, police up his community, I can't tell him how to do it. I can say, hey, so we recommend you have X amount of uh, police officers um, for this many shifts. We recommend you do this many patrols and this these different mahalas, you know what I mean? I, there's a difference between advising and training. Okay. I, I was wanting to make sure we had that distinction because mm -hmm. Vigilance Elite's first podcast episode, he's talking with Mike Glover, who's another spec ops guy. Mm -hmm. And they talk about how they would have to go to Iraq and Afghanistan and train a lot of these guys. And mm -hmm. Mike Glover makes a pretty funny joke about how he would have to go through almost every morning and take their fingers off the trigger. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and going to and putting that in concert with what you were saying, don't I would tell the guy and forcefully tell him, keep your finger off the trigger. Yeah. Oh, we uh, there was a few Iraqi police that we put on the ground when we took them to the range because okay. they they just 
I get it. There's a language barrier, but you know, you would think that like safety would be like a human common sense understanding. I, I don't really know how to phrase that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your booger hook off the bang switch. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I see what you're saying there. And uh, I guess that's why I wanted the clarification. Jen, can I show you something else real quick? Absolutely. Okay. So one of the things that I know that we are going to get as people start watching and checking us out more is, oh, that was a bunch of transphobic statements or that just sounds like transphobia to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. What I've pulled up here is the Harvard Health Publishing, the Harvard School of Medicine website and the definition of phobia. Okay. A phobia is a persistent, excessive, unrealistic fear of an object, person, animal, activity, or situation. It is a type of anxiety disorder. A person with a phobia either tries to avoid the thing that triggers the fear or endures it with great anxiety and distress. Folks, phobia is a fear of something. I'm not afraid of trans people. I'm not afraid of anybody in the LGBT community. I'm not afraid of anybody. I fear no man and one woman. And it's not Jen. The woman I fear is over in the next room. <laughs> okay. So ain't nobody in here transphobic. Let's just go ahead and get that out in the open now. Yeah. Um, so I will say that when, uh, so phobia, we, we know that phobia has a different definition, but when you add in front of it, trans or homo in front of it, it changes the definition. They changed it. They changed they, the definition. They changed Just it. so you know. Well, no, I'm saying they as yeah. in now it is officially changed in the dictionary. So, for example, um, transphobic, having or showing a dislike or of or prejudice against transsexual or transgender people. So they they have officially changed, the, which is why people use transphobic and homophobic so loosely now because that now they're just saying that we just don't like them because they're trans or gay which I, I'll tell you right now, for those of you that are brand new uh, mm -hmm. to hearing my voice or seeing me on YouTube, I'm a lesbian. Spoiler alert, in case you didn't no. figure that out. No <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge lesbian. So um, for That's people- That's like saying, hey, Bill's fat, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> you don't talk about yourself like that. Oh, I know what I, I know what I am and I'm okay with that, but things are changing and we'll discuss that at a later time. But, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of overstating the obvious. If mm -hmm. anybody's gaydar, if they've seen you and their gaydar isn't going off, yeah. then, you know, hit the weights and get a clue. Yeah. Well, this is also for people that are maybe listening to the podcast for the first time. I am a huge Fair lesbian because uh, you, you know, you can't see me, you can hear me. Um, so I will tell you that when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community, um, I don't really affiliate myself with it anymore. The last time I ever went to Pride was 2016, and that was when I first moved to Nashville. Um, and that that just happened by mistake. I was just checking out Nashville with my ex, and we came. I, I honestly forgot it was Pride, and we came upon it. and And the only reason why I stayed was because En Vogue was was there performing. And who doesn't want to see En Vogue? Like I, I'm telling you, for three older women, like they were killing it. Um, but I, it's just the community isn't what I grew up in. Um, they don't stand for what I grew up in. One thing that when I first, you know, I first realized that I was gay back when I was 14 years old, um, tried to fight against it because, you know, the way I was raised, whatever, um, didn't get my first girlfriend until I joined the army. So I was 
like 19 years old when I had my first girlfriend. Um, and then I went back to guys, went back to girls, went back to guys, and then finally came out of the closet officially back in uh, 2011, uh, surprisingly, because that's also when the Don't Ask Self Tell was repealed and when the Defense of Marriage Act was um, taken away and you know same-sex marriage was federally approved. So that's that's when I came out officially. The thing is, like, what growing up in that community, because even even being closeted, I was still around a lot of other gays. Um, I just saw how very inclusive they were, like loving, and all we wanted was to be treated like everybody else. That that's it. At the end of the day, we just wanted to be like everybody else and be treated the same. Um, we we weren't anything special. Who I slept with was nobody's business but our own. That we shouldn't be, you know, judged for it or put down for it. That we just wanted to be like everybody else. Well, after the uh, Don't Ask Don't Tell was repealed and the Defense of Marriage Act went away, and it seemed like this happened overnight. What else did we have to fight for? Like, I know that there's still some prejudices out there, but, you know, when people are enacting their religious freedom, you can't really get upset about it. But I feel like now the LGBT community, that's what it was when I was growing up, um, is trying to find a way to stay relevant, which is why they started adding letters, why we have 50,000 genders, and why they've just turned into such hateful, they're just hateful people now. Not, not individuals, I'm just saying the community as a whole and what they stand for as a whole is now just this hateful community. And I think the best example I can give you is, I don't know if you remember a few months ago when the super straight movement came about. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. So when people started announcing themselves as super straight, I came out as super lesbian. Um, <laughs> you know, the LGBTQ plus community, the LGBTQ plus community um, threw a fit about it. Like, oh my God, you're just making fun of us, your cultural appropriation, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, now how does this make sense? H how are you going to get upset over somebody and their sexuality? Like you're turning into exactly what we were fighting against 10 years ago. Yeah. It's hypocritical. And I I just, I can't, I can't, and I'm glad. I'm glad I walked away from, from that community. It's just, there are a lot of... Uh, phenomenal LGBT people out there. I have, I'm friends with a lot of them. Most of them are liberal. Um, so we, we try not to talk politics, but you know, sometimes it happens. But, um, in fact, one of my, one of my first guests that we're going to have, she's a lesbian and she's more left leaning, but I think she's on the fence. I think we're going to tip room. We're going to see. Um, but I think what's happening to a lot of, I would say people that I would say LGBT people that are probably, 28 and old, I think, are starting to make that transition over to the right because they're seeing what has happened. Like they they saw what it was like with the LGBT community before, how loving it was and how inclusive it was. And now they're seeing that it's just this freak show like pride. It's it's a just a perversion now. And that, that's not what we grew up knowing. And I think that's what's turning a lot of people, maybe not to the right, but it's pulling a lot of people away from the community itself. Um, I think we can move on to the Raider Report. This one shouldn't take too long. <laughs> because <laughs> so the, the reason why is because there's actually nothing really in the infrastructure bill yet. All right, so the infrastructure plan, Build America Act of 2021. 
Uh, this bill was introduced to the House on January 6th, the same day it was referred to the Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure and in addition to the Committee on Ways and Means. On February 2nd, it was moved to the Subcommittee on Highways and Transit, the Subcommittee on Railroads, Pipelines and Hazardous Material, and the Subcommittee on Water Resources and Environment. All right, so this is according to the White House, um, how this infrastructure bill is going to break down. $312 billion to transportation. Transportation includes roads, bridges, major projects, safety, public transit, passenger and freight rail, EV infra infrastructure, electric buses, transit, reconnecting communities. I don't know what that means. Airports, ports and waterways, infrastructure financing, and then $266 billion other infrastructure, which is water, broadband, environmental remediation. I don't know what environmental remediation is. Probably some new Green Deal crap. Uh, power infrastructure, including grid authority, Western water short, uh, storage, my goodness, and resiliencies. Um, so here's my thoughts. Your, your face right there. Because <laughs> right, I, I don't, I like, I know what resilient means, and I'm just really, I don't know, like, the whitehouse.gov did not break down um, what specifically, and like I said, the actual infrastructure bill doesn't really include, like, specifics. It's just the infrastructure bill that they have on the um, house.gov or whatever the website is that I gave you, um, mm -hmm. it just it's just guidelines on what they're looking for as far as with this budget. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I personally think that, so when it comes, before I move on to like the rest of this whole infrastructure thing, I personally think that the federal government should not be involved unless this is federal property. Right. Um, so like we're talking federal highways, federal bridges, et cetera. That's not that much, in my opinion. Um, when it comes to these other things that they're talking about, to me, these are state specific functions. The state should be appropriating their funds the correct way to cover these the, these infrastructure issues. Now, obviously, if you know, the, those states need help, then that's what the federal government is for. But the whole point of the federal government is not to have control of literally everything. And that's what they're doing. Um, broadband, in my opinion, is not infrastructure. Now, I got it. We all love our Internet. A lot of things run on Internet. But, you know, we have to remember that there might be a time we're not going to have Internet. We have to be able to survive without it. And I just don't think that broadband is should be considered infrastructure. That's just my personal opinion. So um, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to agree to disagree on that one because to me, internet connectivity has become such a crucial part of our lives. Mm -hmm. It is now a utility along with water and power. I and, mean, I do understand that, but like you, so are you telling me that if your internet goes down, you're, you're not going to be able to survive? Well, if your electricity goes down, are you not going to be able to survive? Absolutely. I mean, mm -hmm. you remember that TV show uh, Revolution that came out? It was mm -hmm. you know, basically all the electricity in the world goes away. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was a great show for the first two seasons. But either way, I believe as human, I am in, I'm in the same boat with you as we've lost so many skills. Mm -hmm. Okay. As a society in general that we've become way too dependent upon technology. But mm -hmm. if electricity goes down, then we're kind of all in the same boat. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. If the internet goes down, we're kind of all in the same boat because so much funding are so many things as far as finance, as, mm -hmm. as far as information, defense. We talked about defense earlier is dependent mm -hmm. upon internet capabilities, mm -hmm. i.e. broadband. So right. I, uh, that's where we're going to agree to disagree on that one. I think. Okay. I can see that. I, I mean, I can see that, but I just, I think that when it comes to, uh, but the thing is that when you start talking about like defense, mm -hmm. that's federal, that right. should be under federal okay. funding. So Agreed. what I'm getting Agreed. at is like this stuff that they're focusing on, in my opinion, is state, it should be state funded things. And to me, broadband shouldn't be one of them because people right. just regular day, regular everyday people don't need the freaking internet. Like, I, I'm sorry, you know, you're just going to have to not see me on TikTok. Like sometimes that's just the way of that, life, that's, but. that's not fair because <laughs> that's not fair. I think because then some people are going to be missing out on terrific opportunities, that dream job, or, yeah. you know, I, I like a lot of people can now work from home because of the internet mm -hmm. and it's such a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I definitely I'm not saying that it doesn't make life easier, but I, what I'm saying is on average, mm -hmm. if, if, the internet goes down for like a week or whatever. Mm -hmm. You're fine. People will be yeah, fine. Oh, well, that. But yeah. I'm, but I'm, I'm getting at as far as like government, the federal government funding infrastructure. I don't think that this should be included. I don't think they should be really funding infrastructure, anyways. Because, like I said, I think that this is a state issue, um, and that states need to learn to allocate their funds appropriately. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely get where you're coming from. I will be the first person to say that China is the effing worst. But do you know how much this country would benefit from having a light rail system or a system that connects? You can be from Louisville, Kentucky to Nashville, Tennessee mm -hmm. in 30 minutes. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I think. But at the same time, how many people are really going to take that, do you think? Oh, okay. I like you and me, but like, I, I think about like, we, we have a train system. We have a bus system. Now, granted, it's not a high speed. I know you ain't talking rail. about some Amtrak stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that like people got away from riding trains because mm. they want to drive themselves or fly in a plane. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I would be curious to see if that's going to be one of those things that flop or not, you know? Um, I know Hawaii, I don't know if they're still doing it or not, but I know before I left there, they were supposed to build a uh, a rail system because traffic on Honolulu was horrendous. So, or on Oahu, I should say, is horrendous. So I don't know if they're still doing it. I, I'd be really curious to see if, you know, that people would use it. I think in a, maybe a short distance like that. I'm just not, I don't know. I'm really curious to see if that would be something that people would use to like actually travel the country with. Considering we have trains that you can travel the country with. Okay, that's fair. All right. So, all right, moving on. Um, so, the president says that um, president says that spending plan would take place over eight years, and the tax increase would be more than would more than offset the spending in fifteen years. Okay. So, pretty much, the uh, president wants to increase taxes, but it'll be fine because we'll more than get enough in the next 15 years. Uh, last week, the president announced that this bill would be dropped. I think it was 2.2 trillion down to 973 billion plan after a bipartisan pare down. Nancy and Chuck have shown their support 
for the smaller bill, but only if the budget reconciliation bill passes. What's a reconciliation bill? Reconciliation bill process that essentially makes it easier for legislation to pass Senate by using a simple majority and cannot be filibustered. What are they trying to sneak in that reconciliation bill, you might ask? Well, a $6 trillion plan that was introduced none other than Senator Bernie Sanders. Nancy will not allow any votes on the infrastructure plan, the, the new bipartisan one, unless they pass a second bill under the reconciliation rules. This package will bring back their plans to increase taxes on higher incomes and businesses, which we all know what high higher income taxes are going to affect uh, smaller people like crazy. So that there wasn't really any substance to the bill itself. Um, and obviously they are still in negotiations with it. Um, and they, they dwindled it down to get a bipartisan. Like I said, it was 900 and what did I say? 973 billion from 2.2 trillion, or maybe it was 1.9. Anyways, they dwindled it down. So they have bipartisan agreement on it, but Nancy and Chuck don't want to do it because they want this reconciliation bill and this reconciliation bill that they're trying to uh, pass is was 6 trillion. And it's going to involve tax increases. And a lot of people think that, oh, well, that's just going to affect people with higher incomes in the businesses. But people don't understand. And, you know, uh, Midwestern Asian, she she did it perfectly on one of her TikToks and or explained it perfectly on how higher taxes actually affect us lower income people significantly. And it's going to take away American jobs. So that's what I was getting at. Well, that's what the left does. You know, they'll take away jobs. So you become more dependent upon the exactly. government. Yep, mm -hmm. exactly. All right. So if you have nothing else, I can get on to Jen, Jen thoughts, the closing remarks. Yep, absolutely. Let's hear it, Jen. All right. So it has been a crazy, crazy time in our nation lately. Many days it's been very sad. Uh, there are many of us who are losing hope and want to give up and we no longer see the light at the end of the tunnel. We are feeling constantly kicked down no matter how hard we try, we can't stand back up. All I can say is this Patriots, the fight is not over. Many people are opening up their eyes. Many people are starting to see the truths. What this country has gone through in just the past year and a half will no longer stand. We can no longer remain silent. We can no longer stay on the ground. So get up with me and continue this fight. Use your voices, no matter how small your voice you have or how small voice you think you have. If we all stand together, they will have no choice but to listen to us. So say it loud and say it proud. I'm an American. I stand for the Constitution. I stand for freedom. I stand for each and every one of you. Have a very happy Independence Day this weekend, buddies. And thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much to Bill, my producer. And I, that's that's it. Enjoy, you guys.